You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open. <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill. Unbelievable. Just flew by him for a second time. Tua knew where he was going right away. How the hit is that, little man? I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle. To a shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown. Got it. It's Waddle. His sixth touchdown six pass touchdown of again. the day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And on today's show, the positional previews roll on. We are going to take a look at the trenches, the boys up front on the offensive line, and as we do annually, the great Joe Marino on to talk about this position group from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. We're going to jump right in today with my interview with the great Joe Marino. Joining me now is a man who needs no introduction here in these parts. He does root for the wrong team, but he has the right last name. My friend, Joe Marino, (laughs) back again. Joe, how are we doing, man? Travis, we've had enough conversations to this point where I'm surprised you hadn't hit me with that amazing introduction to this point. I mean, that that was well put together. I'm doing well. Glad to be on with you. And of course, thank you for having me. Well, my uh, the, the guy that I work close closest with in the podcast here always tells me, you know, if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. So I guess maybe a, the better introduction is is a good uh, a good example of of progress here <laughs> on the Drive Time podcast. But um, you know, a, the Masters wrapped last weekend, and the tradition like no other. I always have to ask you here, uh, Dad. Life. We, we both have kids of the same age, and uh, probably going going through some of the same things at, at these phases of fatherhood. So I had to ask you. How's how's getting the kid going uh, in the mornings and just dad life in general? How you how you feeling, man? Dad life is still amazing. I I can only imagine what things are like on your end. Um, we're you know we 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 uh, we're into our three our age three season. You know what I mean of being a human. Yeah. Uh, so so that comes with some unique challenges. Um, definitely very uh, interested in what she wears every day. So there's you know a little bit of a struggle sometimes in the morning, but we keep her busy, man. She's involved in. Uh, swim and gymnastics and dance and loves her preschool. So we keep her going. Um, and it's fun. She's got a lot of functionality. I think there's probably at least five times a day where I look at her and for completely different reasons, I say to myself, I can't believe you're real. I can't, <laughs> I can't believe that you're real. Uh, but she's, she's the joy of our life. We're, we're loving being parents over here. And I hope the same is true for you. It absolutely is. I love to hear those updates are the best to me. That's the best we're doing the podcast here all day. But uh, the dress thing is funny because my little one always wants to wear what she calls let it go dresses uh, just Mm. because Elsa always has, you know, her nice dresses on and frozen and she she's obsessed with frozen as as most kids are. So, uh, yeah, man. And, and then like also watching what we say, she's starting to pick up on on the things that we say now. It's it's getting out of control, man. You know, it hit me this past month or so is, you know, we're obviously all the way into the weeds with frozen. This movie came out in 2013 and nobody, nobody told my daughter that it was popular amongst little girls, her age, but it just happens. I mean, for whatever reason uh, that Disney has built an absolute empire with that, that movie. And and it's a big part of uh, just about everything that happens here in our house. 
Yeah, and there's so many movies that they've put out recently that, you know, nothing measures up to Frozen. No. I like to think a little bit of Josh Gad has something to do with that. A uh, big-time Dolphins fan here that we can <laughs> shout out on the podcast. Uh, Olaf cracks me up even, so I'm, I'm happy to watch that one over some of the other options out there in the Disney Pixar universe. But um, that's that's the update there. Uh, you know, a couple of dads talking football here. And uh, what better position group to talk about with you than the offensive line. I think we made a tradition now of three or four years in a row here on the drive time podcast. Uh, Joe does great work, both with locked on NFL scouting and the locked on bills podcast. And uh, you know, I think the bills obviously uh, looking for some offensive line help. They went aggressively in free agency this year and got a couple of guys in McGovern and, and Kessenberry. So, uh, but I think they probably still be in the, in the mix for, for drafting that position group up front. And I think the dolphins uh, probably are too. And most teams usually are right. It's a position group that uh, tends to, I guess just have needs every single year for five, five positions up front on your team. And I want to go ahead and start here because I, I've looked at a few mocks and, you know, done my own work and everyone has their opinions. Dolphins first pick in this year's draft is number 51. If you had to put your best guesstimate on it, how many players would you say for sure a lot across the offensive line, tackle guard center, what doesn't matter. Would you say are for sure going to be gone by the time the Dolphins pick at 51? Yeah, I think that's a, a great way for us to start the conversation. And like you mentioned, you know, offensive line needs are pretty prevalent across the entire league. And it's really the only position group where you have five starters, right? Like everything else is you have a tight end or a running back. You got five of these offensive linemen and it's tough to get five good ones. And so I think a lot of teams are in the market for these, for these players. And I think the good news for these teams in need of offensive line help is that there's help available in this draft. And so when I consider who's definitely not going to be there at 51, some of the names that come to mind for me, uh, Paris Johnson, the tackle from Ohio State, Broderick Jones, the tackle from Georgia, Darnell Wright, the tackle from Tennessee, Peter Skaronsky out of Northwestern. I'd say those are definitely out of the picture, those four guys. And then there's several guys that are kind of fringe where you would not be surprised if they were taken, um, but you'd also not be surprised if they were available. But if I was a Dolphins fan, I wouldn't be thinking about Paris Johnson, Broderick Jones, Darnell Wright, or Peter Skaronsky. And one of the things I love that you and Kyle do so much is not just the draft aspect of, of the game, but really what I think the draft, you know, breeds itself to is the team building aspect. And so with that, you kind of take a look at the draft from more nuanced perspectives and not just like player A is good at X, therefore, you know, player mm -hmm. or team Y should draft him. Like you understand how draft boards work and how position gluts and those types of things can, can just cause surprises on draft night. So I was curious because you mentioned those four names and I was looking back at, I think it was the Bruce Feldman mock, which I think is one of the best ones out there every year where he gets really good Intel from, from scouts and coaches across the league and in college football. And he was talking about only having four offensive linemen, the guys you just mentioned in that group. And, you know, thinking about, a handful of names that probably hear their name called early on day two, or at, at the least at the, at the earliest or latest, I should say uh, end of round two. Does that tend to, because there are so many guys in that potential slot, do you think you could see a, a situation where teams are kind of coming up to go get those tackles early in that uh, day two, where it seems like every year we have one position group where teams trade up and, and knock it out really quickly. Could you see that being the offensive line this year? I certainly could. Um, like we've already established, the need out there is prevalent. And what's more important than protecting your franchise quarterback, right? And, and there's so many good young quarterbacks across the NFL that teams probably feel a lot of urgency to go out and get them the right mix of players in front of them. And so if there's 
a reduced list and, and there is for every team, right? We talk about all these players at large, but in reality, every team's going to have their different uh, appetites for players and scheme fits and personality fits. And so, you know, you might look at it and say, well, if you get one of these 15 players, you get a starting offensive lineman, but probably for most teams that that's probably cut in half, if not even further. And so um, as you kind of foil all those dynamics together, you can realize that the need, the urgency, the player pool, that's going to potentially lead to some, some movement. And um, I can see teams definitely wanting to make that choice to move up the board, to make sure that they get a guy that they absolutely like, that they feel like can be an answer for them up front. I'd be curious to see what the Dolphins approaches come draft night because only having the four draft picks and, you know, no one's crying about spending a third round draft pick on, on Jalen Ramsey. But, uh, you know, we, we spoke a little bit off the air about um, the draft this year. And, you know, when we only have four picks, like that's, that's less work I got to do on the draft class getting ready for <laughs> because we don't, we don't look at the top, you know, 25 or so players uh, that you, you almost can put a lock next to their name as first round picks. But in, in doing so, um, you wonder, do the Dolphins target a move up? Do they decide to go back and try to acquire more picks? I, I think it's a, a a kind of a unique situation where they're at right now. And with that in mind and, and the potential to add competition to the offensive line, which you know Chris Greer has mentioned doing this offseason uh, to, to give some help to not just to Ron Armstead, Connor Williams, and Robert Hunt, but you know Austin Jackson, Liam Eikenberg, a couple of uh, high draft picks in the last re- couple of recent years here. And thinking about how this Dolphins system is, is prevalent across the league, you know, from the Shanahan tree and mm-hmm. obviously McVay and LaFleur, and there's so many influences that come from this coaching tree. I'm curious who you might have as potential fits that could be on the board at pick 51 in the essence of, you know, firing off the football, playing a lot of that wide zone, but also having the gap schemes they, they incorporate as well. It's pretty diverse, but uh, as far as offensive line fits that could be there at pick 51, who do you like for Miami? I think there's three names that really pop for me that I think would be terrific picks for the Miami Dolphins. The first one is Matthew Bergeron out of Syracuse. 6'5", 318 pounds, 33 and three quarter inch arms, very productive player at Syracuse. And what I really like about him is how he got better every single season. And I love that ascending nature of the caliber of play that he's delivered. And I thought he was the best offensive lineman at the senior bowl. And so you talk about kind of putting an exclamation point on your film resume. I think Bergeron's really done that. And what I love about him as a player is just the body control and just how good he is at staying square and playing within himself and not getting overextended and really playing with good bend and leverage. And there's just a very natural understanding of that, that you can see in the way that Matthew Bergeron plays. And, you know, he was tasked with so many good pass rushers at the senior bowl and he clamped them all down. And I think that just is a testament to how much he trusts his technique, how technically refined he is, the body control, the ability to frame and stay square. I think he's just such a solid player. And if he was there at 51, uh, I would have no reservations about him being my pick. If I were the Miami dolphins, another offensive tackle that I really like is Dewan Jones out of Ohio state. Now he's a mountain of a man, six, eight, 374 pounds, unbelievable length. I've never seen length like this. We're talking about a wingspan of 87 and seven eighth inches, 36 and three eighth inch arms. The guy's got 11 and five eighth inch hands. I mean, this guy is an absolute monster. And maybe you're wondering to yourself, well, does that really work with a wide zone rushing offense? I think it does. And I think the reason it does is because of the length and how that really makes up for anything that he's lacking athletically. And look for a 375 pound dude that's six, eight, he got 
good movement skills, right? So that's 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 definitely prevalent in his game. He's just obviously not going to be super fleet of foot just because of the the mass and body composition that he has. But what he really does to maximize his length is special to me in terms of being very deliberate with getting his hands on guys and his grip strength and his lat strength is really, really good. And that enables him to sustain blocks. And obviously he's a powerful guy. And you talk about widening those rush lanes and, you know, giving giving those backs some some room to work with, he's going to be able to create that for you. And again, in pass protection, uh, obviously a lot of quick setting in the Dolphins offense, and you're not going to, you're not going to touch getting by Dewan Jones yeah. quick sets. But <laughs> I think even if you ask him to vertical vertical set, which of course with Tua in the play action game and how proficient he is with that and throwing the ball down the field, you know, having a guy like Dewan Jones, who is just so much to get around. I mean, you want to elongate paths. If you're a, an offensive lineman, you want to make those paths to the quarterback longer for pass rushers. And my goodness, can Dewan Jones do that? And Certainly in, in that Ohio State offense, he was given the opportunity to really have to sustain in pass protection quite a bit, given the choice routes that exist in that offense. And, you know, certainly C.J. Stroud was working the ball down the field as well. And so I think that he's a, a really good fit, especially because I feel like if the Dolphins can really get that run game going, it can mean a ton for their offense and how it evolves this coming season. And I'll give you a, a player here on the interior that I like. There's probably several that I like, but a guy that really pops for me is uh, is Cody Mock out of North Dakota State. Uh, played left tackle for North Dakota State. I think he came there as a tight end, moved to tackle. Really good movement skills. I love his range. So if you want to get a guy out in space, working in longer poles, climbing to the second level, he's very proficient at that. Obviously, as a former tackle, you like that projection inside as a pass blocker. But I think the range and athleticism for him that you see on tape would be a major asset to what the Miami Dolphins want to accomplish on offense. So I have follows for each of those guys because you've you've kind of got my intrigue on on all three of them there. And I want to go back to Dewan Jones because you kind of touched on what my original follow-up was going to be on him with that idea that like just by nature of existing on the football field, mm-hmm. he makes it more difficult for pass rushers to get to your quarterback because he's larger. Like it makes sense, bigger space, like you're occupying a bigger space, a bigger space. Uh, but you mentioned, you know the potential sacrifice and athletic ability, which, you know, I've, we've heard that he does, you know, he can come off the ball and play that way in a certain sense, but you kind of have that sacrifice. Like, is that, is the idea of protecting a potential blind side for Tua who, you know, only quarterback in the league, you have to do that for uh, your right tackle protecting the blind side. Does, does that sacrifice in the athleticism kind of, I guess, intrigue coaches because, Hey, we can pretty much set and Forgetting pass pro, like you talk about with, I don't know, 60% of our playbook that we have these quick sets in. Well, I, I think his reach really mitigates some of your concerns. Obviously you wish that he had a little bit more explosiveness and a little bit more foot fire to his game, but uh, that length is insane. I mean, it's rare 87 and seven eighths. Uh, <laughs> I mean, what, who else is even close to that? I've, I've been scouting players for a long time. I've never seen anything like that. And there's enough movement skills to complement it for me to feel good about whatever variety of pass sets I want him to execute or whatever run concepts I want him to execute in terms of working laterally. I, I think that his ability to get hands on opponents really eases any concern that I have about his movement skills. So you also mentioned Matthew Bergeron, which I think we talked last, last time we talked, you had kind of brought his name up as a guy that you were, uh, really intrigued by it. it. Sounds like he's really proving himself 
himself throughout the process here, but you talked about his body control and it kind of, you know, peaked in my mind, something that coach McDaniel refers to a lot about sort of relearning and retraining playing offensive line in this system compared to what other systems ask of offensive linemen, or maybe it's more reactive. And in this system, you fire off the football and, you know, uh, just getting off the ball first is the most important thing with a guy like Bergeron or really any of these rookies who maybe don't have this, the ex- experience in this exact system. I'm not going to sit here and tell you, I know what Syracuse and what, what North Dakota state are running uh, on a given week, but is, how do you kind of view that uh, learning curve for a rookie coming into this offensive system where they coach him up a certain way. Is it, is it doable? Is it tough? Like, what do you think about that transition? Well, I, I, it's obviously tough for any player, I, and whether it's what you're asked to do, but also who you're asked to do it against. Right. I mean, rolling your hips into contact and creating displacement in the run game in the ACC is a whole lot different than in the <laughs> AFC. Right. So uh, that that's um, always going to be a challenge, but I think for a player like Bergeron and, you know, kind of leaning back into the talking point about just the body control, I think that's going to serve him very well because I think he's plenty powerful to create that initial surge and, and create some movement, but how he can fight that pressure with pressure and absorb and still remain in control of a rep. I think is going to serve him very, very well when we're talking about him getting on the field and making an impact for whatever team actually drafts him. And then just real quick before our first break here on Cody mock, you mentioned the movement skills, which obviously, you know, it peaks a flag for, for dolphins fans in terms of like how they play in this offensive line. But you talked about playing the interior position after kind of playing some tackle in college as well. Is he a guy that you think could kick out to the tackle position as a pro? I think he's a get you out of a game type tackle where I, what I've one thing I loved about him at the senior bowl is after being a college left tackle, he played all five spots. He even snapped, he played right tackle center, both guard spots and left tackle. And, and obviously versatility is huge. The more you can do obviously matters a lot in the NFL, but for a guy like Cody mock, uh, I think he's going to find his best success at left guard, but Hey, look, if you're in a situation where your tackle goes down and you need to get out of a game, I think he can absolutely hold his own and do that for you. Well, either way, it sounds like Miami's going to have a, a pretty good uh, group of players to choose from at that spot, should they choose to go in that direction. And of course, doing these positional previews for every group, we're going to talk about this as if the Dolphins were going to make that move uh, at that position at that spot. But I want to do it for every spot in the draft. And the next pick for the Miami Dolphins comes up in the third round, number 81. Before we get to that, let's go ahead and take our first break right here. I've got Joe Marino on the podcast here, breaking down offensive linemen, drive time podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Back here on a draft preview edition of the Drive Time Podcast, the great Joe Marino here, helping us break down this offensive line class and heading into the draft. I think Dolphins fans, or at least on social media, which I don't know, Joe, it's like 6% of the actual community or the country that actually is on Twitter. So who knows if it's accurate representation of what fans actually think, but 
Based upon Twitter and social, fans are, are pretty excited about the potential of adding a new offensive lineman. And so if not at pick 51, then going back to pick, what did I say, 81? I think it's 84. I probably got that number wrong. But anyway, in the middle of the third round, looking at players that you like in that position group, you gave us three. You can give me one, two, three, four, however many you think, Joe. Some guys that you think might be there in the third round that would fit this Dolphins offensive line group. A guy I like a ton is Braden Daniels out of Utah. Um, 6'5", 3'11". He's actually played a lot of tackle and guard at Utah. And so I think whatever path you want to take with him, it makes sense. 33-inch arms. I, I look at him more as a guard, um, but again, can play some tackle. I think he has a better chance of being a good tackle than Cody Mock. But Braden Daniels coming out of that Utah system, I think is uh, really tailored well towards being able to translate to the next level where those offensive linemen do fire off the ball, right? There is that roll your hips into contact, create running lanes and, and really embracing running the football, but how they build things off of that and a lot of misdirection and play action and using tight ends in the passing game. You know, I think that's uh, very translatable to what's going to happen at the next level. And so a guy like Braden Daniels, I think in, in a lot of ways, the things that I mentioned about Matthew Bergeron, I would apply here. Uh, maybe a little more athletic uh, than than Bergeron in terms of being an interior player and, and having a lot of range. Um, he's a guy that I, I think is really slept on that. I think third, fourth round could provide a team with, with an actual starter. Uh, so he's a guy that I like. Another player that I think is, is really under-discussed is Jordan McFadden out of Clemson, another college left tackle that I, I think can play tackle in the NFL. He certainly got uh, requisite length to do so. But I, I think even as a guard, he might even have a, a more bright future where uh, played a lot of football at Clemson. I thought he showed good year over year growth, uh, pretty powerful. Uh, that's one thing that I like about him to go with a good athletic profile. And so when you're thinking about that third round, that fourth round guys that um, could be starters and maybe aren't discussed enough. Those are two guys that really pop for me when it comes to that conversation. That's the, the third round pick for the Miami Dolphins, number 81, a couple of guys that Joe likes in that position. And then you kind of get into the area of the draft where you start thinking about, you know, it's it's not very often teams pluck a player on day three and put them in the starting lineup and, and it works right away. You typically have to kind of bring those guys along. And it's especially at a position group where it's just hard to find starters, man. Like a, the entire league goes through this. So if you had to kind of look into that third round, which again, this is why the O-line is so unique, right? Because if I take a linebacker and he's not ready to play on defense, I can put him on special teams and get some snaps out of him. But offensive line, I mean, you can you can do field goal block or, or field goal team. Yeah. That's about it. But uh, there's not much room for for you know supplementary snaps there. But looking at day three, um, kind of what's your approach to to evaluating offensive linemen as far as guys that you think could potentially one day you know have an impact on a team, and who are some guys that you'd like to potentially do that in this year's class? Yeah, when I'm thinking day three offensive lineman, I, I understand that I'm getting a guy that's more projecty, that there's some flaws with them, but you want enough traits that make you believe they have starter appeal uh, to invest in them. And so I'm looking for foot quickness. I'm looking for length, looking for power, looking for something that I can cling to and and realize that I have this and I can really focus in on building up the other components of their game. Uh, a guy that I, I like a lot is Carter Warren out of pit six, five, three, 11, 35 and three eighth inch arms. I think he's very good with his footwork and his handwork in terms of being able to frame, use his length, use his punch to get his hands on and, and really keep defenders at the edge of his reach. Had a really good career at Pittsburgh, had an 
had an injury there that I think kind of took him off the radar, but he should be ready to go. And, and a player that I like, uh, Asim Richards out of North Carolina, uh, really caught my eye at the senior bowl and then went back to the tape with him and really enjoyed what I saw. I think a player that can play guard or tackle good, good, just tenacity, the way that he plays the game. He's certainly a player that you feel comfortable with his ability to uh, create some displacement in the run game, provide multi position ability, um, and, and actually has some, some good length to go with him over 34 inch arms as well there. So, you know, I think, I think there's some really intriguing players to consider later on. It's just a matter of making sure you develop them, making sure that you have a plan and, and really try to maximize what they do well while building up those other components of their game. So Joe, the theme of this entire interview you've kind of taken here brings me to a question that's going off script a little bit because, and I'm curious if this is like a chicken before the egg situation where the, the NFL or the pro game in the NFL, you do have to have, you know, between having seven guys dressed for game day, maybe eight on some teams on the offensive line, you obviously have to have guys that can play in multiple spots and we see it across the entire league, but I feel like every guy you gave me at all three stages here, you mentioned position flexibility, guys that played one spot in college or multiple spots in college, but project to play even more as a pro or, you know, move around as a pro. And it has me thinking about our offensive line here in Miami, because I'm wondering, like, if you get to a certain pick in the draft and it's like, well, we love this guard, but we have guards. We, you know, we have Robert Hunt, who we think is a, a potentially pro bowl level right guard. But what if we draft this guy and, and boot Rob out to right tackle where he's played and played well in the past? I'm curious, from a team-building perspective, this is not like Dolphins-centric you know, centric because we don't know what, what they think uh, in, in the draft room. But I'm curious, would teams consider you know, a guy like Rob Hunt, a guy like Connor Williams, who was a guard his whole career and then turned in one of his best years as a pro last year at center, would you consider moving someone who was successful at the spot you had them at to potentially improve two spots? Does that a concern that teams maybe have, if I move this guy, maybe I weaken both spots? Like, how does that conversation go, do you think? Well, I think it starts with trying to get your five best players on the field, right? That's one thing that you absolutely have to do. But one thing that I'm pretty cautious about when it comes to that type of conversation is I don't want to take a great player at one position and make them a good player at another position, yeah. right? You want everyone to have a chance to be their best version of themselves, be in their most natural spot. That way they can help your team the most. And so if you think player X is your best fit at right guard, and that's going to be the best path for that player, I think you can do them a disservice by moving them around so much. And I saw this with Cody Ford uh, out of Oklahoma with the bills where, you know, play guard and tackle in college, think he was always better suited to play guard in the NFL. The bills played him at tackle kind of rotated a little bit as a rookie. Then he moves to guard, moves back to tackle. And there's so much nuance that goes into each individual spot. And there's so much muscle memory that goes into each individual spot that while the versatility is great, when you're talking about starters to me, if he's your right guard, he's your right guard. If he's your right tackle, he's your right tackle. And so I think you have to marry all of those ideologies together in terms of getting your best five on the field, but also getting the best five players in the best possible spots for them to be successful, which not only helps them as individuals, but in turn helps your football team. I think it's a fascinating question and a fascinating answer. I'm sure most teams have that conversation at some point, especially in this position group. So really good stuff there. Uh, appreciate that, Joe. And, and Cody Ford is a guy that I was so sure was going to be a great player at this <laughs> level. And we'll see if, uh, you know, greener pastures provides that for him. Uh, but I, I guess, uh, maybe good for Dolphins fans. It didn't work out for him in Buffalo there, but uh, 
he was a guy that I was pretty high on going in uh, into his pro career. I have one more question for you, Joe. I'm going to uh, go to my last break here and come back on the other side. It's not offensive line. It's not draft centric. It's Dolphins and Bills related. That's next. Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield. My guest today, Joe Marino, brought to you by Auto Nation. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. So I teased it on the other side of the break here, talking about Dolphins and Bills, which, you know, Joe, I, I the Jets and Aaron Rodgers, we'll see when it actually happens. It's going to be, you know, a big upgrade from the quarterback position. But I still contend that this division is is one, two Dolphins and Bills and however, whatever order you want to put that in. And I'm just kind of curious to get your perspective as a, a fan of the Bills who, you know, for a long time, the Dolphins just weren't competitive against Buffalo in so many of those games. And then last year, they get a victory down here in South Florida and play the Bills tight, but both up in Buffalo uh, in the regular season and in the postseason. And uh, to me, kind of like reinvigorated the rivalry in a, in a big way, three really fun games to watch. So I'm curious as, you know, someone that is, uh, really anticipating the chase of the Buffalo Bills at the top of the AFC East this year. How does the Bills fan view the Dolphins and what they've done the last couple of years, and especially this year heading into 2023? Well, I don't think you can look at it any other way than acknowledge that based on the games that were played last year. And like you mentioned, we got three of them. They were far more competitive than anything that we saw in the previous several seasons. And so with that in mind, I, I think it's fair to say that the gap is absolutely closed. Now, the Bills won the division by, I think, four games yeah. still, right? And so it, it, there, there's that piece of it as well. Um, and I certainly look at Miami as the biggest threat to the Bills in their quest for a fourth consecutive AFC East title. Um, but I think if this Dolphins team can be healthy, um, that's going to be huge. And I think last year, I mean, if they didn't have so many injuries in the secondary and even at times the offensive line, of course, Tua missing time as well. I mean, maybe that's not a four game win in the division, right? I think that that changes things. And so I think the big thing for Miami is staying healthy. You certainly look at this team from a talent perspective and realize that it's one of the better rosters in the NFL in terms of just overall talent. You have to love the coaching addition of Vic Fangio to run the defense. I think, you know, he's clearly one of the best in the game at that. And certainly, has a lot of exciting talent to work with, whether it's on that front, right, with the D-line and the D-tackles and, you know, obviously David Long to go with Jerome Baker on the second level. The corner tandem of Ramsey and, and Howard is really special with, uh, of course, Cater Kuo, who's emerged in the slot as a nice player. And, you know, obviously I think the world of Javon Holland at safety and, you know, Brandon Jones working back from injury, excited to see him back. And I, I think that that, that being handed over to Vic Fangio, he's got to be really excited uh, for what he can get done, especially with those young defensive linemen who, you know, just, I think very highly of Zach Sealer and Christian Wilkins and Jalen Phillips and Brad Chubb. And of course, Emmanuel Ogba coming back off injury. It just seems like they're so deep. And so um, offensively, Mike McDaniel, what he was able to show last year and those receivers, nobody wants to play against Waddle and Hill. I mean, that's, that's a nightmare. And so, you know, you look at that, you feel like if this offensive line can take some strides to a year or two with Mike McDaniel, there's some evolution there. I'm sure 
Uh, and so you, you feel like things are absolutely on the up for the Miami Dolphins. And now it's about meeting expectations, right? And and the Dolphins are at that point now where people expect things of them, right? And so they're not sneaking up on anybody. Everybody knows what they have in terms of talent and where this team can go. And so uh big year for them, obviously, with this window that, that's been created very quickly. And um, certainly a lot of urgency to maximize this opportunity with all this talent that they have assembled. I think uh, staying healthy is going to be the name of the game for the, uh, the dolphins there in this coming season. And, you know, we'll play it out and see what happens, but the gap was absolutely, absolutely closed last year. I think the dolphins have continued to make strides this off season. And now we'll go play the games and see what happens. Keep going, Joe, keep, keep bringing that praise <laughs> for us. We want to hear more about it. And if you need a chaser, if you need to go take a, a shot of scope to wash your mouth after all that dolphins praise, I wouldn't blame you, my friend. <laughs> uh, listen, I, 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 I love the competition. You know, I think yeah. some, sometimes we get caught up in these rivalries and there's a lot of like just bad blood between it. And, and I get it right. Everybody wants the same thing and only one team gets to get it, but I love the competition. I really do. And, and I, I've appreciated watching both teams build themselves up um, with some mindfulness towards each other, yeah. you know, and seeing what that looks like. And so you know, it's, it's not personal, <laughs> not to me. I don't play for the bills. Um, so I, I certainly want them to win uh, and, and take care of their business, but I certainly can respect and appreciate the competition and what everyone's trying to accomplish. And I think the dolphins have really went about this in a unique way. Um, nobody can deny the talent on this roster and uh, it's, it's fun to watch. And um, you know, maybe, maybe if it's uh if it goes a certain way, I might, I might have a different tone for you <laughs> at the end of next year, but I could certainly uh, come to, into this conversation with a lot of respect for what they're trying to build and what I think they can accomplish this year. Obviously uh, a big opportunity building off of a, a playoff appearance in Mike McDaniel's first season with you know some really different, difficult adversity that they had to face along the way. That's why we love having you on as a guest, Joe. We just appreciate that. Uh, you know, there's there's no animosity there, and you can definitely tell. And the respect level, it's mutual. I mean, if I if I go through my preview podcast for the two games every year, I, I don't know how many times I've mentioned how impressed I am by the fact that they got Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde, and Tredavious White all in the same offseason and just built that secondary pretty much from scratch and turned it into one of the best in the NFL. And I think, you know, fellow 90s kid here on the podcast, <laughs> uh, Dolphins and Bills, man, like you talk about building up to this point, like, it, for a long time, it was one team in this division and one team only. So to see these two teams, you know, reignite that 90s rivalry, you talk about, you know, Christian Wilkins and Josh Allen's banter back and forth. It's mm -hmm. fun to me. I love that stuff. So uh, looking forward to it, man. Get the schedule here in about a month. and We'll see when those two games are. Uh, hopefully we can see you down here. Maybe I don't know if you and Crabs are going to come down for a Dolphins and <laughs> Bills game one of these days. We'd love to see you guys down here, man. Hey, I enjoy, I went to the Ravens. Uh, the, was it a Thursday night game? A few. You years told me ago? about it. Yeah, <laughs> that was a great time. I enjoyed my Hard Rock uh, Stadium experience. I don't know if I would like it as much if the Bills were playing. I like <laughs> no. I like to go to South Florida when the Dolphins are playing uh, somebody else. You know. So. <laughs> Exactly right. And and uh, the night games too, like we do night games differently, man. Uh, South Florida at night is just a different beast. So, hey, you uh, know, good speaking stuff of there, Travis, what do you say when the Bills play in Miami next year with that's a night game? I think that'd be a great, a great opportunity as opposed to maybe that one o'clock time, time. I was going to say, you the, would say so, that. <laughs> yeah, I think let's make that prime time. You know, even if it's in September, we'll, we'll play that thing at 830 p.m. Hey, give me the, give me the trip to Orchard Park in September or October. We'll call it, we'll call it a wash and we'll just be good there. Does that sound good? <laughs> All good, my guy. All right, Joe Marino, Locked On NFL Scouting and Locked On Bills. You can find him at Twitter at the Joe Marino. Joe, what are you working on, man? What can I help you promote here? 
Oh, d- d- you got it, man. The two podcasts. That's what we do. Locked on bills, locked on NFL scouting with Kyle Krabs, who I know is uh is the name many know amongst uh, the, the Dolphins fans there. So we talk team building and get into a lot of these topics all the time. So appreciate the opportunity to share that. Yeah, I told Kyle he's coming on the, the podcast the week of the draft to be the closer for our draft previews, and he he likes that idea quite a lot. It's a tradition we do here every year on draft time, like we have Joe every year. So Joe, thank you so much, my man. We'll talk to you uh, probably in September, whenever the Dolphins and Bills first play for that game preview. Sound good, man? All right, sounds good, Travis. Thanks for having me. And away he goes. Always a fun interview with Joe. We talk about Dolphins and Bills every single year. We talk about the offensive line every year in the draft as well. And uh, looking forward to those podcasts come September, October, whenever those couple of Dolphins and Bills games occur. I tend to think they'll be later in the year. I think they've been early every single season so uh, the last couple of years here. I think the NFL might push those back a little bit just to get some uh, primetime pop Dolphins and Bills. You heard Joe asking for the night game down here in South Florida. I'll take the same thing as well up there in Buffalo if it's early in the year. Let's play some primetime games against this team and and compete for a division title, hopefully. So there you go. Good stuff with Joe. We're going to come back on Friday. I'm looking at my schedule here. I believe it's Damian Parson to talk about linebacker. So keep it locked right here. We'll keep doing positional previews for the next couple of weeks here on the podcast, as well as include some other stuff for you guys as well. I know not everyone is all draft all the time, but it is April. So you have to kind of uh, hang with us, Noah on the draft prospects. So let's go ahead and get out of here. That's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast with Seth and Juice. Check out the team YouTube channel. We have media availabilities, Dolphins Today, and so much more up there. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline Cameron, Daddy's coming home.